Welcome to a Thursday, August 11th edition of The Elephants in the Room. What's what's happening, y'all? What is happening? What's not happening? <laughs> I think that's really the question these days is what's not happening. It is the, you know. I, the, I actually like how Max is like, oh, this is, you know, the dog days of summer. It There's is. no news stories. There never is. And like ever since we rebooted our podcast, it's just been like, Breaking news after breaking news, not us. That would be awesome. It's, but just yeah. <laughs> it's been ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. And and the last time I remember really I mean, during even years, generally there is a little bit of an uptick in activity because there's elections going on and all of that. But the last time I really remember it being this crazy in August was another midterm year. It was no, it was an off year. Mm. Wait. <laughs> I'm trying to I believe it was it was it, it was it was at least 12 years ago but it was it was when they were trying to pass Obamacare and everything like that was that was a crazy crazy time that's 12 years ago yeah you know and and Trump in 2015 that was huge I mean every time that guy was on TV in 2015 <laughs> It was must. It was it was appointment television. So that was not a quiet summer. That wasn't a quiet summer at all. I remember working during that. It was nuts. It was crazy. Um, you know everything about that. Um, but really, it's been you know coronavirus. You know had it. But even then, there's there wasn't like a ton going on. But this week we had, like we said the other day, one of the most landmark events we've had happen in our lifetime, something that we can actually truly say is, is unprecedented. The, the FBI raiding a former president's home. Now we're going to get into that raid because more details have come out about that. However, let's start with Merrick Garland today. Okay. The Attorney General Merrick Garland comes out 30, 34 minutes late, naturally. Um, as all Democrats do. and um, They just want you to know that you're not important, and they are. Right. And he didn't say much of substance other than he, a, he has, the Department of Justice has requested that the warrant be unsealed. And so now, um, now the federal judge uh, has, has ruled, and this just came across, that the Department of Justice has until 3 p.m. Eastern time on Friday to confirm whether Trump supports unsealing the raid warrant. Um, federal judge on Thursday gave the Justice Department until 3 p.m. on Friday to certify whether former judge supports or opposes unsealing the warrant and property receipt from the FBI search of his Mar-a-Lago home on Monday. So this is all going to come down to whether Donald Trump wants to release this or or not um i i'm not sure which way he's going to go with it i'm sure he's sitting down and figuring out what what when the best what the biggest splash he can make with this um because the more information that comes out about this raid the more we realize how incredibly incredibly silly and juvenile this decision was and, and are who are we getting this information from is this fbi agents leaking is this just what trump is putting out as to the state of his house when he got back or like how are we getting this information yeah i mean like like everything when it comes to investigations it's unnamed sources 
Okay. So it's unnamed sources across the board, though, from the New York Post and Washington Post and New York Times to Fox News. You know, everyone has these unnamed sources. There's people close to the Trump camp who talk. There's people close to the FBI camp who talk. There's people close to the Secret Service who's there at Mar-a-Lago who talk. Um, if there's one thing I've learned, you put a microphone in front of someone and you give them a chance to talk and they're going to go off. And you would be surprised at how many people will chat off the record about incredibly sensitive subjects. You really would. And, um, and so this is how we, we've come to see that what happened on Monday night was a throwback. It was a throwback to a time when America was a little bit more innocent, <laughs> a little bit more fun, a little bit more free. You know, we're at the top of our game. And you want to know what you want to know what kids used to do on college campuses? Hmm. Now, I know you've heard this. Kate, you know what a panty raid is? No, but I can guess by the name. Yeah, so a panty raid is now this term was coined in the in the 50. I read about this today, the history of the panty raid. The coin, the term was coined in the late 40s, early 50s, but essentially what it was is that a group of young boys at a college campus would get together, raid the girls' dorm, take their underwear, and leave. That's so weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's juvenile. And the women would do it back to the men. And the women would do it back to the men. Now, I know this sounds incredible. Now, a couple of things. One, if you did anything like that today, you're getting the death penalty. That is first and foremost. That is death penalty. Toss, Lock the door. Throw away the key. You're not seeing the light of day again. The other thing about it is it's funny just reading about this because this was back at a time when there were boys' dorms and girls' dorms, unlike, unlike the hormone field experience that college kids have these days. But this is what it was. Um, this is from Fox News. FBI agents scoured Melania Trump's wardrobe and spent several hours combing through Donald Trump's private office, breaking open his safe and rifling through drawers when they raided the first family's Mar-a-Lago home in Florida on Monday morning. This is the panty raid. They're going through Melania's underwear. They're going through her bras and panties. They're going through her 90s. That's so invasive. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. Mostly because the Trumps have been cooperating with the FBI and the Department of Justice incredibly. To the point where earlier this year, the FBI came over... We're, we're, we're looking, we're, the, the, this was agreed upon, came over, needed to collect some documents. Trump and his lawyer said, hey, come on over. We, you know, we've got some stuff. Come out, take it, not a big deal. Government comes in, grabs it, and, 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 this, is, and this is what they took. This is what they took earlier this year, unclassified items. This is, this is part of what they're searching for. These are the items that were improperly taken. Mm -hmm. A cocktail napkin, a phone list, some charts, some slide decks, some letters, memos, maps, talking points, uh, a birthday dinner menu, and um, a little bit more. And so it was 100 pages of itemized non-classified material that the government received from Trump earlier this year. 
of the 100 pages of material, well, it was 100 pages of non-classified material, only three pages of classified material. Three. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. You want to know what the FBI said when they left that mm. time? Mm. They said, hey, you want to know what? You might just want to get a bigger lock for your safe. That's what they said. They weren't worried about anything else. They just said, you might want to get a bigger, bigger lock. That could mean a lot of things. Well, right. I mean, that's, that's, such a, that's such a weird thing that they come over, that everything was agreed upon, and no big deal. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, 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 really, um, it's really crazy to, to think that all of this was done because of another piece of information that we've received through unnamed sources, is that apparently what led to this raid Mm-hmm. Was that in? Was that a whistleblower? Someone close to President Trump said, "Hey, I know he's still got classified stuff that you're looking for, and I know where it is." And they called up the DOJ, and the DOJ made the assessment, and this was according to the New York Times, that they made an assessment that the classified material, allegedly, because of this. This person said that this classified material was so sensitive and so important to national security that they needed to raid immediately to get it. Now, let me ask you something. <laughs> Hasn't he had this for two if years? this material was so important, if what he has is so crucial to national security, if what he has is so crucial to our national sovereignty, why on earth was he allowed to take it with him to Mar-a-Lago? Not just that, but like he's had it for two years and like things change so quickly. How can something that someone took two years ago, one, still be relevant and two, no one noticed it was gone? So, so that's the thing. So, so, so those are my questions immediately because when I hear this, the first thing I think of is, yes, the United States government, generally speaking, will be extraordinarily heavy handed when it comes to matters of intelligence how we collect intelligence on our adversaries, how we collect intelligence domestically, the assets that we have to collect that intelligence, whether it be human, whether it be by boat, by submarine, by drone, by plane, right? There is a reason why we have classified programs within the military and within our spy agencies that us as regular normal citizens are not supposed to know about. That's just a fact of life that we need to keep something so compartmentalized so that someone somewhere in an adversarial regime doesn't know what we can surprise them with. That is the only kind of information that I could see. If, he, if, if Trump for some reason had a list of, you know, the names and aliases of foreign agents overseas, I don't know why he would have that, but that would that would that would be something you raid for. If he had a list of all the if he had the technical specifications for any sort of plane, satellite, you name it, device to, that collects intelligence that was previously classified and he has that stuff, yes, the government's gonna raid him immediately. So there is an opening here where there might be something that he might be completely unaware of himself. That might have been stuffed away in a box somewhere that does contain sensitive information. We do have to realize that that, that is a distinct possibility out there. 
But back to the FBI panty raid. Mm-hmm. The problem, the problem with that line of thinking is twofold. One, what you said, Katie. If this is such sensitive material, there's no possible way that this would have been just floating out there for two years without there being a lot more aggression to getting the material. Which leads me to point number two. Trump's already handed over everything they've asked for. This isn't someone who's been uncooperative. This isn't someone who's been aggressive. This isn't someone who's stonewalled the Department of Justice and the National Archives for getting stuff that all presidents need to hand over. He said notes, cocktail napkins, birthday stuff. This is all stuff that the archives wants, right? It's all stuff that they like to put on display and different things or just to have, just to have for researchers. Whatever it may be, it's fine. They serve a purpose. It's not that big of a deal. Does this National Archives director, does he does he sniff his own farts a little bit too much? Yeah, because he thinks he's a defender of democracy doing this. One of those things. Oh, the press, the press will defend you if you call yourself a defender of democracy. Um, but, but that's where it is. So there, there, we have to acknowledge that there are legitimate things that the United States government doesn't want to possibly fall into the hands of an adversary and that we have procedures in place to protect that information. So apparently our procedures suck. So our procedures suck, number one. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean that's the biggest one. I mean, if, you if can, this is true. If this is true, you know, you know, Barron's sitting there playing his Xbox at Marco Lago. FBI agents come in. They're like, what are you looking for? Like, oh, it's safe. Oh, it's back there. <laughs> like, it's empty, <laughs> which it was. Um, yeah, this is great. And, you know, Trump's saying, I mean, I mean, this is, it's really, really, really scary what happened here. I mean, we're talking about the FBI agents being there from 9 a.m. until 6.30. None of Trump, Trump wasn't there. The family wasn't there. His lawyers weren't allowed to be present while they searched. Whoa. So it is possible they did plant things. Oh. It 100% is. It is 100%. 100% a possibility that this was this was nothing more than a phishing investigation to turn up whatever Joe Biden, the January 6th committee, and Merrick Garland wanted to get on Donald Trump. Yikes. There's a 100% chance that that happened. And there's a 100% chance, 100% chance that there was a piece of paper that needed to be somewhere else. In which case, did you need to send an entire army of FBI agents over to get it? And the answer is no. But they wanted a panty raid. They wanted an excuse to go through Melania's stuff. <laughs> it's really gross. It's really, it's, 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 it's just a window into the eye of, it's a window into the eye of what's going to happen when, if, 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 if. We don't get our act together on the right and mobilize this November. This has to be unforgivable. This has to be unforgivable. This has to be punished so heavily that when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about back to our show on Tuesday where we're talking about the Presidential Records Act and how liberals want to ban Trump from being, from being able to hold office because he violated this act. It is, it, it is, it is, it has to be the 100% goal of the Republican Congress to impeach Merrick Garland, to get rid of Christopher Wray at the FBI, and to, and to find out every single person who is involved in this raid. 
and make sure that they can never be part of the federal government at any level again whatsoever. Take their pensions away. Take all of it away. You're not allowed to, this needs to be a firm red line. You are not allowed to weaponize the Department of Justice against your political enemies just because the bad orange man said something you didn't like. That's not how this country works. It's how Joe Biden wants the country to work. It's how Merrick Garland clearly wants the country to work. I mean, this was a man foaming in the mouth talking about Loudoun County parents being terrorists. And he has the gall to come out here and say that the DOJ isn't, public, isn't politicized? It's only politicized. It's only an arm of the Democrat Party now. Yep. And all you need to do is look at how they treated Hillary Clinton and how they treat Donald Trump. All you got to do is take a look at how they treat Hunter Biden. That's all you need to look at. It's very simple. Look how the Department of Justice and the FBI treats Democrats, and look how they treat Republicans. That's all you need to look at. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here is that two things. One, Trump's got to decide whether he wants this un- to, the warrant to be unsealed. Number one, number two, got to find the rat, if there's a rat <laughs> in Trump world. Um, you know, and and the, um, and the and the and the last thing is that this is um, um, th- 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 this is it for the DOJ. Um, there's no they they need to provide the goods on this. They need to release the goods. They need to explain what was taken. And I'm sorry, but I'm actually at the point where they need to un- they need to unclassify everything that was taken. They need to declassify it. Um. I'm pretty sure it's not, I, I, I cannot imagine it being anything serious, but they should just declassify it at this point. Or throw Trump in jail, right? It's either, this is not a significant, it, it's either, it's because this is mishandling classified information, this is a big deal, right? I mean, this is, this is, you don't go to jail for it if you're a Democrat, but you go to jail for it if you're a Republican, or you go to jail for it if you're a service member. Yeah, but now that you've planted this seed that they could have just thrown something in, that this, they did. that makes me very nervous. I wouldn't put it past him. I just wouldn't put it past him. There's plenty of history in this country of law enforcement planting things on people. There's loads of, look what just happened. Look what happened in Michigan last year. The entrapment by the Michigan, by, by Michigan and the FBI to entrap people who had no interest in abducting and kidnapping the governor of Michigan. But the FBI paid some whack job, tens of thousands of dollars, to get a bunch of people to get a couple of people in the Facebook group to go, yeah, we'd like to get rid of the governor. It was pure entrapment. The guys didn't go to jail. But this is what the FBI does. They entrap. And I'm no doubt this this is at this point it's no doubt as part of an entrapment scheme. The only the only thing, the only thing is like I said, if and I don't know why it would be there, but it would have to be like the most explosive classified information in the world. To which case, how the hell did it end up in Mar-a-Lago? And there's no good answer for that. Because it's not. Because we know it's not. We know nothing was taken was all that important. We inherently know it. Because what the hell does Donald Trump need it for? He doesn't care about that stuff. He doesn't need it. Donald Trump's, Donald Trump's focused on 2024 right now. 
He doesn't care about some of the stuff that he took. He's got his mementos from the White House. He's got, trust me. He's got his Air Force One figurine. That was like the most public thing that he took, right? The, Air Force, the new Air Force One model. Grabbed it on his way out. None of this passed the smell test. And it's just another reminder that under no circumstances can you ever trust the federal government to do the right thing. So I think that, that that's that's where we're at. We're gonna this is this is, it's playing out. I've no doubt Trump is gonna throw some more volleys towards Merrick Garland. He's already complaining about them sniffing Melania's undergarments and whatnot <laughs> during the panty raid. And um, the only thing that we can do on our side is make sure that we are supporting candidates who are going to hold the Department of Justice accountable for what happened on Monday. Because we've just talked this through for 20 minutes or so, and it's hard to come to any conclusion other than what was taken wasn't that big of a deal, if anything was taken, right? And number two, if it's not that big of a deal, or if it is the end of the world, how did it end up there? No good answers to that. Um, and number three, what did the FBI need nine hours? If you knew what you were looking for, if you had a quote unquote whistleblower who knew where the stuff was, you just go in there. Which means, which, which, like I said, it leads it to us thinking, concluding this is more of a fishing expedition than it's going to uncover anything serious that the president did. And that's why this is such a spectacular backfire by the Department of Justice. And when you go and when you turn on cable news and you go online, you see a lot more people who you would consider on the left going, this is not a great look. You don't use the FBI to go get a couple of printed out pages of information from a former president who's already cooperating with you. This was nothing more than making a scene to make a scene, making a point to make a point. By the way. I know I just have to end on this. There's no, there's no less convincing person in the world than Merrick Garland. This guy's a dweeb. This guy's a wimp. He can't even read off a teleprompter. I mean, he was standing there. I mean, this is like a deer in headlights moment for this guy. This is zero confidence. I have zero confidence this guy has any clue of what he's doing. Right? And he has that. You know what, he ha you know what the worst thing about it is? He's, he's, got that, he's got that personality that shows that if you just, he's like someone who's like looking for a fight. Mm. You know, like, and, and, and I always say, like, um, um, my dad worked in a profession where he had to interact with a lot of people on a, on a daily basis, hundreds, hundreds of people. And he would say, he's like, you know, sometimes there's someone who's just walking up to you and you're just like, you can already tell you're like, this person's just looking to get into a fight. This person's just looking to get into an argument. They got a look about him. They got an attitude about him. That was Merrick Garland today, right? He's just this, this tiny, angry guy who was like trying to yell at a teleprompter and be all do have that self-righteous indignation of, you know, this is the proof that no one's above the law in, in, in America and we'll go after anyone. Like, go after anyone. Like, please, go after your boss, Joe Biden. Well, go after his family. Speak when you know you're in the ass. wrong, you can either uh, admit you're wrong or double down. And he's, we know which track he's going down. He's taking the double down and it's just this angry, unconvincing dweeb. You know, like just, he's the guy, a guy who would pick a fight with someone in the locker room and used to get shoved into a locker and the door would close. <laughs> I mean, that's Merrick Garland. He needs to be stuffed in a locker somewhere. Um,
I want to switch over because uh, we got to get into the the, the lighter side of things, the funner side of things, because previously what this FBI thing was distracting us from is that disaster of a climate bill that was passed. Right. And um, we're going to get into that. Now, now one of the great things is, as Katie so rightly pointed out, and I want to keep repeating this point, that this bill will do nothing to change emissions globally, to right. bring down greenhouse gases, because as long as India and China and basically every developing country out there keeps continuing to pump carbon in the atmosphere, the fact that, you know, a family down the street is going to switch from a from a RAV4 to a Tesla isn't going to change anything. Isn't going to change anything on a global scale when it comes to the quote-unquote problem, the, 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 the crisis of our lifetime, the crisis of our lifetime. Right. So here it is. You want to know why Joe Biden's administration isn't taking this seriously and attacking this on a global scale, which is the only way you can do is attack it on a global scale? For electric cars, just like solar panels, you get a rebate. You get a government rebate. Check from the government. Right. Great. Well, guess what? Not uh not every electric vehicle is going to get a rebate from Joe Biden. Uh-oh. Which ones are going to get it? It has to be only cars that are made and manufactured in America. All parts. All parts? All parts. This cuts down the list of eligible vehicles to get a tax credit from 72 to 25. And what's their reasoning behind that? It's protectionism. Well, yeah. But That's it's it. But it's not like... The cars that were made outside of America were also producing bad climatey things to make this. So right, right, exactly. It's it's nonsense. It's absolute crazy. So so the federal government it not just only wants to make sure that they force you into a car that you're not going to be able to afford unless you take out a gigantic loan. However, they also want to make sure they also want to make sure that they're picking the winners in the industry. They want to pick the winners. And the winners are going to be the people who donate the most to the Biden administration. Well, you can look at it that way, but I mean, Trump did a lot of protectionism as well. He did, he did, he did, and and I disagreed with a lot of it. I thought a lot of what he did just ended up increasing costs for low income Americans. Um, um, but 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 that's what. But but I think that that's the. But and and that's exactly the point that I'm making. That if you want to make change on a global scale, which this bill won't, but they say they do. But if you say you're going to do it, if you say you want to tackle something on a global scale, then you have to create a bill that attacks something on a global scale. And being protectionist and not offering people, not having a healthy competition in the market for lower-cost electric vehicles is not a great strategy to help Americans adopt electric vehicles if that's what you want them to do. It's a terrible strategy. It's simply going to prop up the people who donate the most to the Biden administration because he's going to be like, oh, well, I'll make sure that your cars are, cars are grandfathered in. I'll make sure your cars are okay. That's how this works. This is how lobbyists write bills. This is, this is how the sausage is made, folks. Okay, in case you weren't aware, in case you come from a town that defunded its library, let me explain or to you. Or kicks eighty-year-old women out of the pool. Yeah, or kicks eighty-year-old women yet. out, or kicks eighty-year-old women out of the pool because she doesn't want to shower with men, right? If you come from a backwards town like that, let me explain to you, Schoolhouse Rock style, how a bill actually becomes a law. Okay, I hope you're going to sing during this. Part. So uh, yeah, uh, well, I'm just a bill. 
right? And I'm just a bill <laughs> is first and foremost written by lobbyists. An, in, an industry needs something done. The industry reps get together and they write a bill and they hand it over to their friends in Congress. And they go, wouldn't it be great if this became a law? The congressperson looks at it and be like, you want to know what? It would be, but you want to know the best way to do this? You know, I'm running for re-election. So you're going to need to help me fund this campaign. And you help me fund this campaign, I'm going to help you push your bill through Congress. So money gets donated. Congressperson works with their staff, brings this bill up in a committee. There's other people who have other interest groups who are like, oh, you know, I've got friends who are going to want to get on this. They see a way to get their campaigns funded. Hey, I can get you in on this bill. We can send you a couple million dollars in subsidies, but I'm running for re-election. So interest group goes, oh, okay. Company goes, oh, okay, you're running for re-election. Huh? Well, we'd like, to, we'd like to get in on these subsidies. We'd like to get in on this. We'd like to make sure our stuff is part of this. Here you go. Here's your funding for your election. Here you go. Oh, look. Oh, a little carve-out for you in the bill. And this is how it works. Every single bill that gets passed, this is how it works. Obamacare, written by the health insurance industry. This climate bill, this is written by the, the green economy. This is written by people who manufacture. We used air quotes on that. Yeah, quote unquote <laughs> green economy. This is for people who manufacture solar panels, they manufacture wind turbines, um, they manufacture any hydroelectric equipment. These are the people who wrote this bill. Because who stands to gain the most from this kind of legislation being passed? Surprise, it's not 19-year-old college students in tie-dye growing, you know, who haven't bathed in two weeks and think that this bill is going to save the wetlands. Those aren't the people who are going to win on this bill. The people who are going to win on this bill are the people who spent the time to properly lobby and donate the correct members of Congress in order to get the carve-outs that they needed in this bill to be in that bill. That's how this process works. That's all this bill is. All this bill is is a blank check for Joe Biden's political donors to extract money from the taxpayer of the United States and put it into their own company. And the proof is in the pudding when you start to look at details like this. Because they wouldn't decrease competition in a market if the goal was to get as many people buying electric vehicles as possible. They'd want more competition because competition leads to better products at lower prices. And if you don't believe me, I would invite you to read any history of the world available to you at any library in your town, if your town still has one. <laughs> but moving on from this, and if, you want, and if you want proof of more and more how astroturfy this is, there is a great article in the Daily Mail. Three oil scions paying hundreds of eco-activists $25,000 a year to be professional protesters. Eileen Getty. Rebecca Rockefeller Lambert and Peter Gill Case, who are heirs to their family's huge fortunes, are paying the salaries for thugs through their nonprofits in a parrot bid to offset their relatives' legacies. Getty, whose grandfather created Getty Oil, has so far splashed out $1 million through her California-based climate and emergency fund. Lambert and Case, who are both members of the Rockefeller dynasty that founded Standard Oil in 1870, have forked out $30 million to the Equation campaign. 
This comes as Eagle Warriors have continued to wreak havoc across the world in recent months. SUV car tires have been slashed in America, Britain, and Australia, while famous oil paintings have been targeted in EU countries. There is no reason why any working-class American should pay any attention to an heir or heiress of anything, ever, for any reason. Period. End of sentence. If you want to look at this Getty lady, this woman's a piece of crap. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. She spent her entire life addicted to drugs because she never had any boundaries. She somehow contracted HIV after, during, while she was cheating on her husband and abandoning her children. Hmm. So you know she's a filthy, filthy person. And she's just been in and out of rehab her entire life. And now, she want, now she's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to save the wetlands. I'm going I'm to solve climate change, and I can get all these people off my back. This woman's a loser. A loser, loser's loser. Who no one should be spending any time paying attention to. But this is the problem with people like this. They've got endless money. And they can give it to people to destroy and harass working class people across the world. You look at these protests, you look at these people who walk out into the middle of highways and block highways because they don't want cars and trucks running. Whose day are they disrupting? Are they disrupting Eileen Getty's day? Are they disrupting the Rockefellers? Are they disrupting the Getty family's close personal friend, Governor Gavin Newsom? No, 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 they're not. No, they're not. They're disrupting the hardworking men and women of the world who make the world go. These, these, These three people, these are losers. They've never done anything with their life. They've taken this incredible platform that they've been given through sheer dumb luck and have cracked it away. And now they want to make our lives miserable by harassing us and preventing us from doing our jobs, going on vacation, living our lives the way we see fit because they feel guilty that they were born into such incredible privilege that they've never been able to wrap their minds around what it might be like to take that privilege and do something good with it. Because what they're doing is not good. It's shameful, it's gross, it's disgusting, and it's nothing more than another attempt by the elites to take out the working class of the world. It's a complete joke. Are we still on the soapbox or are we moving on? I can move on. I can move on. It just got me worked up. I, I, can, I can see that. What I feel want? it. We can move on to. I've got, I've got, well, I've got, I've got a couple, I got a couple of funny things that I, that I want to end on, including, in, including an update on one of your favorite members of Congress. Oh. So we're going to get that? there. <laughs> so, so, so I want to tease what we're, we could, because we want to try to keep these episodes short. And I think, I think we've ranted enough for today. I do want to pass on another couple of headlines. Um, the IRS has put out job notifications for these new agent hires. And guess what? They do highlight that you might need to use deadly force. You're going to be carrying a firearm. <laughs> so if you're an accountant who also likes to shoot people... You might want to apply for a job at the IRS. Right. <laughs> right? The green eye shade crowd is now going to be carrying Glocks? <laughs> is that because like, they're like, anticipating that people will be annoyed that the IRS is knocking on their door because they sold a $600 couch on Craigslist? Who did you call a bean counter? 
Oh, man. Uh, on the next episode, there's a story that came out. I want to dig into it a little bit more today. But uh, the Supreme Court is going to be taking on the affirmative action case. Nice. Um, and this is a case um, about Harvard um, discriminating against Asian Americans. There's some historical context about how Harvard used to reject Jews based on the same way that they're rejecting Asians now. They've got the paperwork. It seems like these folks might have the goods. Harvard looks like it's going to be taking a hit. Um, but I want to I want to finish with two two stories. Um, the first one really might be the most upsetting um, of them all, which is that um, there's a CO two shortage in this country. How so? Uh, well, it's it it's it, it, it's like it's like everything. The CO two gets uh, produced and um, and you need you. People need to buy it, especially, like, let's say, if you're a brewery. Oh. You might need to carbonate Mm -hmm. your beverage. Well, um, and and this is funny. This is funny. I have two links to this story, and they're the only two links that are broken in the dock. (laughs) So they're definitely, the White House is definitely trying to suppress this story. Um, But this is a story that brewers, brewers, beer brewers, are are having a tough time um, getting the CO2 they need. And why is that? It's like your gas bill. You don't think, how much am I using? You just know it's available to you and you don't really worry about it because it, there's never been this kind of issue before, said Luke Purcell, the brewmaster at Collision Bend Brewing Company in Cleveland, Ohio. CO2 is used during most of the process. In the past several years, the wrong ingredients combined to create a national CO2 uh, shortage. The Ohio Craft Brewers Association said the supply has been tight since spring of 2020 because of shutdowns, limited productivity, and delivery. Most recently, one of the country's largest natural sources of food-grade CO2, the Jackson Dome area in Mississippi, began experiencing contamination issues. So we've got all of these supply chain issues happening, a couple of natural things happening, needless to say. I do not remember a beer shortage during the Trump presidency. That is right. In fact, I think people were drinking too much beer during the Trump presidency, especially during the coronavirus. Everyone remembers their Well, pe- they were able to get two beers for the price of one today. That's so right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's we had purchasing power. Right. We could afford beer. Yeah. That's how else do you get a quarantine 15? Right? So, so that I, I had to pass that along that our good friend Brandon is taking on taking on beer, um, and then finally this story, and this is a classic. We see this every time that there is an election. Politicians who aren't, for lack of a better term, they're not men of the people. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a white collar office worker who doesn't know the difference between a twelve gauge. And an AR-15. There's that, that, that there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having different interests, you know, whatever. That's how what makes the world work. But mm-hmm. politicians always try too hard to make themselves seem to be everything to every person on the planet, and it always shows up with these limousine liberals trying to be these, you know, outdoor sportsmen. You know, I go hunting. I go fishing. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I like to drink beer, rock, flag, and eagle, right? 
And we saw this come up during John Kerry's presidential election when that classic quote, oh, I'm going to go get me a hunting license. (laughs) John Kerry couldn't spell Remington if he tried 20 times. Or my favorite, which (laughs) sort of fits this, when Elizabeth Warren was like, when you're in line at your local cheese shop. Yes, yes, that was the best. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, she didn't even try to be a woman of the people. She was just like, when you're in the line at the local cheese shop. she was being a woman of the people. (laughs) Not realizing that no one has a cheese shop. Oblivious here. Anyways, I don't know how many of you know this, but but my wonderful co-host co-host has a, a favorite United States senator. I don't know who you're talking about, so I'm very curious <laughs> who my favorite U.S. senator is. A second campaign ad for Democrat U.S. Senator Michael Bennett features the Colorado oh. senator on a fishing expedition with an unaffiliated voter in an apparent effort to show the wealthy businessman as an outdoorsman. And that's what he is. Michael Bennett, this is not a partisan thing. This is an extremely successful man. This is not an idiot, okay? Like, this is someone who did, who did well for himself in the private sector. However, we have met him. And he seems like someone, he seems like a regular dad from, from Colorado. I'm sure he's done hiking. It's impossible. I'm sure it's impossible to live in Colorado, given the scenery there, and not have some sort of active lifestyle. But these guys always try to push it too far. So he's out there. He's got a gnat. He's fishing. Here's the problem. He reportedly bought a 24-hour fishing license to shoot the ad. <laughs> Michael Bennett's not out there on the river every day, folks. <laughs> Oops. Wait, I think you need to explain to folks why he is my quote-unquote favorite senator. So this was back during the 2020 uh, Democrat primary. And it is, um, we were we were living in New Hampshire at the time. And, um, you know, the rest of the country put a burden on us from New Hampshire, which is that we need to sort out all of the the jokers you send us from the other 49 states and we got to figure out which one of you are acceptable to lead this country i think we may have done an episode on it but it's buried so we will just give you the so we're gonna re-up story. it so anyways all the jokesters from the 49 states come into new hampshire every four years and we show up at our local coffee shops to listen to them talk and we have to go out and figure out which one of you people is acceptable to become president of the united states that's how the process works if you want to know how the process doesn't work Look at those jokers in Iowa. We do it right in New Hampshire. But anyways, we went to our local tea shop in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Yep. To see Colorado we Senator. We were trying to see every candidate, and Correct. it was only the Democratic primary, yep. just to preface. Yep, exactly. Um, and we saw all of them. I think we ended up seeing all of them. We didn't Except get a picture Joe with Biden. all Well, we saw Joe Biden at the dinner. Oh, okay. Technically. <laughs> so... We show up to uh, this tea shop, and there's only, like, literally five people there. Literally. And it ev- got to 15 at the end. Maybe 20. No, it was literally five people. There weren't a lot of which people. Which is the th- only reason that this story exists for me. <laughs> so at every other event, there was at least a quorum of people. Like, at least, like, 40 plus. So this is, like, the smallest event we'd ever been to. And, you know, they all do their spiel, and they open it up for questions. And like no one was asking questions. So I was like, I'm going to ask a question because there's no one here. So I can just ask a question. And he gave a spiel that was so the like antithesis of everything I believe in that I don't even remember anymore what I asked him. But maybe Max says it was about so it was it was about it was about balancing the budget. And he did a lot of his talk around like 
Oh yeah, I think I asked him something about around taxes like, and like instead closing. of like instead of your theory of increasing taxes, why can't you spend less? It was something like that. That's a set, that's that's distilled down. That's what it was. It was like, well, you're talking a lot about taxing, but there's another side of the equation, and that's cutting spending. Where do you want to cut spending? And they got to go back and forth because Michael Bennett's obviously not going to stand there during a Democrat primary and being like, oh, yeah, we need to slash things to the bone. (laughs) Um, So he obviously went for the obvious one that Democrats go for, which is defense spending, which, look, I mean, there's waste all over the government. I'm going to say there's no waste in defense department. Duh, of course there is, right? Remember the $1,000 toilet from back in the day? Um, This stuff, you know, there's, there's waste everywhere. But he gave a very unconvincing, it was like, it was very much like he had like a moment of like, um, I could tell you what I'd really like to do, but I can't do that because this is a primary. So I'm going to give an answer about cutting the Department of Defense and how we need to hold people who have made taxes accountable and whatnot. And it was just like, what, 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 why, why? There's, there's more you can do, especially because he spent the time, entire time pitching himself as like an independent. Yeah. And all of his policies were left wing. He was like, "Well, you're not that much of an independent. All your policies are like left wing." Um, but anyways, that's Katie's favorite senator, uh, the fisherman, the angler. The, <laughs> I think that's his nickname, the angler. Um, but we've gone way over what we thought. Well, we were you going stuck to do with today. us to find out that, but he, Michael Bennett is not actually my favorite senator, which is why I was very confused. I think he is. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, we will see you on Sunday. Sunday.